Now, let me just throw in another scripture. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Okay, now read on verses 5 and 6. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. Okay, Reuben, stop there. We'll pick that up in a minute. <clears throat> so the pagan nations around the Jewish nation worshipped the sun, moon, and stars. And you may remember that one of the gods of Egypt was the god Ra. It was the sun god. So the psalmist is saying all of this that's created, we're not to worship that. We're to worship the creator, the one that spoke that into being. Hold your place there and go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, I want us to reread, we've all read it before, but let's reread when God created the stars and lights in the sky. Genesis 1, 14 through 16. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. Glance back at verse 14. Um, he said, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So I'm going to pick up on that a little bit. These lights are God's instruments and used for his purposes. And one of the reasons that he created all this for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was for signs and seasons, for days and years. God created the sun, moon, and stars not just for light, but as signals in the sky to establish his time clock for the feasts of Israel and as signs of important events. For instance, the birth of Jesus. We all know that the wise men followed the star until they got to Jesus. So that was a sign in the heavens that pointed them to the Messiah. Jesus spoke of his second coming in Luke 21, saying that there would be signs in the sun and moon and stars. So signs in the sky were involved in predicting the Lord's first coming and his second coming. Now go to Joel chapter 2. Joel is a small prophet. He's behind Hosea. Joel 2. We'll start in verse 28. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Do you know there are people around the world right now saying this could be what we're seeing the outpouring that began over a month ago at Asbury and has now gone to other states and other nations People are beginning to say this could be the final outpouring 
This could be the beginning of this final outpouring. It began Acts 2 when, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the church. It's continued on and off through the years in, in kind of greater and lesser intensity. Now we're coming into a season where we're seen on all flesh. I was reading things yesterday. It's amazing what God is doing in different places where his spirit is being poured out on all flesh. Could this be the final in gathering? And then let's read on. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So verse 31, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. I want to talk to you about blood moons for a few minutes. Blood moon is a lunar eclipse when the moon turns red. And when there are four consecutive blood moons, they are called a tetron, and it happens two in one year and two in the next year. It's a tetron. They relate specifically to the nation of Israel. The first time there were four blood moons in successive years on key Jewish days was in 1492 and 1493. In 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain if they would not convert to Catholicism. Columbus sailed the ocean to find a new land. Many people are not aware that the reason he was looking for a new land was to find a safe place for the Jews to go. Historians, many historians say he was a secret Jew. So that was 1942, had to do with the Jewish nation. 1494. Sorry, what did I say? Okay, sorry everybody, 1492. The second time there were four blood moons was in 1949 and 50. Israel became a nation in 1948. In one day, as was prophesied in Isaiah 66, 8, remember that? He said, can a nation be born in a day? A nation was born in a day in 1948. But Israel was not established as a government until 1949. The Jewish homeland was officially reborn the year the blood moons came out again. The Jewish people could return to Israel from all other nations. They're still returning to Israel today. The third time there were four blood moons was in 1967 and 68. The Jews took full control over Jerusalem in 1967 after the Six-Day War. In Luke 21, Jesus prophesied the defeat of Israel the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, and the scattering of the Jews around the world, which began in 70 AD and continued, and the Jews have been scattered all over the world. He prophesied further in verse 24, Luke 21, that Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles, the non-Jews, until the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles were fulfilled in 1967. Amen. This is a key to the Lord's soon return. People have said for years, so the Lord's coming back, the Lord's coming back, and then they say, well, he hasn't come yet, maybe he's not going to come. Maybe he's not going to come for a million years, you know. But what we have to do is see the signs and the seasons, which we often can see in the sky. So the times of the Gentiles, we had to wait until that was fulfilled. That was fulfilled in 1967. Then the last tetrod was in 20. 14, 2015. At that time, Orthodox Jewish groups began making plans to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. 
we are now in the season of the temple being rebuilt. And I use the word season because remember the, the blood moons are for a sign and a season. We're in the season of it. Has it been rebuilt? No. Has it been started? No. Have they tried? Yes. They've laid a few foundation stones and that all got removed. There's been problems. But since 2014, they've been trying to rebuild the temple, talking about it, praying about it, planning it. And at this point, all the articles for the new temple have been made. The menorah, the show, table of showbread, the altar of incense, you know, the laver, the things that you read in the old covenant, they have been made for the new temple. Priestly robes have been sewn and are ready to be worn. Nine priests have been kept pure and are trained to serve in the third temple. And now there are five red heifers. You have to have a red heifer that has no other color hair on it and no blemish. Five that are needed for sacrifices are now in Israel. They actually came from Texas, which is interesting. They are being guarded until the sacrifices can start. So things are coming together for this third temple. I was talking to someone. I said, well, how long is it going to take to build this? Once you know exactly where you're going to put it, and, you know, you get permission and all that. And they said, oh, we can get it up in six weeks. It's not going to be a problem to build it. So we're living in prophetic times. You've probably heard people say, oh, man, I so wish I could have lived in the Bible times. You guys, we're living in Bible times. We are living in Bible times and prophetic times. We could be the generation that sees the Lord come back. Mm. And, and very likely, generations can be 40 years, 70 years, 80 years, 100 years. The last generation started in 67. So we're probably in that last generation. Let's all take care of our health so that we can be raptured together. <laughs> okay, let's read on Psalm 147, 7 through 12. Reuben, can you read that, please? 148. I'm sorry, 148. If I keep making mistakes, y'all just keep correcting me. This teamwork today. Psalm 148, 7 through 12. Praise the Lord. From the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young and maidens, old men and children. All right, thank you. And they're reading on verse 13. says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is exalted. God's name refers to his essence, his character, and his power. So his name is exalted. It goes on to say his glory is above the earth and heavens. His glory is his splendor and majesty. And that's above the earth and the heavens. In verse 14, he has exalted the horn of his people. In Hebrew, the word karen is translated horn, but it's also translated strength. And that's why you see it sometimes translated horn. It actually means strength. He's exalted the strength of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. To exalt the horn of a people is a symbol for raising up a nation and bestowing respect, power, and honor upon it. God has exalted the strength of his Jewish people 
the children of Israel. He's not distant from his creation or his creatures. He's near to them. You know, we can be so secure in our covenant with the Lord because he has been so faithful to Israel all these years. He's never broken covenant with Israel. And he won't break covenant with us either. So, you know, he loves us as much as he loves them. We don't have to feel jealous that he talks a whole lot about the Israel people. We're grafted into the olive tree. We're part of that nation by adoption by our father. All right, let's look at uh, Psalm 149. Going to read the first four verses. Sing to the Lord a new song in his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Okay, so in this psalm, there are, again, two groups of verses. The first four deal with praise, and then verses 5 through 9 deal with judgment. So we praise God for his salvation and his judgment, and we get to participate in both. As we praise the Lord, the, we actually enthrone him, and then he can deal directly with our spiritual enemies. So praise and worship is very powerful. It, the Lord inhabits that, and then he deals with our enemies. Let's look at that verse in Psalm 22, verse 3. Psalm 22, 3. Verse 3, but you are holy who inhabit the praises of Israel. Other versions say you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. So praise brings the presence of God. Although God is everywhere, there is a distinct manifestation of his rule in an environment of praise. Often in praise gatherings, people are healed. People are delivered. Some are saved. Hearts and souls are mended. Some receive the direction they're seeking. Others receive fresh hope. Some feel called to the mission field. Praise is foundational to kingdom advance. Amen. In our own personal lives, it's foundational for our own advance. And in corporately, it's foundational for us to advance as the army of God. I don't know if you've been in worship services where the Lord begins to just hover and inhabit our praises in worship, and things just start happening. Tears start rolling down faces. Bodies stand up straighter. People are connecting with the Lord. I've heard people say, I walked in here confused. I walked out knowing exactly what God wants me to do. I walked in here in pain. I'm walking out without any pain. I'm saying, and no one prayed for them. They were in an environment of praise. This is a strong spiritual weapon we have that we need to employ in our own lives. It needs to be a discipline. If it doesn't come natural to you to just worship the Lord, then engage in it as a discipline. I'll tell you a story that might, might be a little shocking to some of you, but this is a true story. So this lady got saved, had quite a rough background, 
She got saved. She was so thrilled to be born again. And she's walking around her house singing praises and worship to the Lord as she did housework. She did this for about three weeks, just praising the Lord every day, worshiping him. And one day, while praising the Lord, she heard a male voice come through her mouth and say, I've had enough of this. I'm getting out of here. And she ran to the bathroom and threw up and was delivered of a demon. But she didn't know what it was. She called her pastor and said, what just happened? And he said, you just were delivered of a demonic spirit. That spirit couldn't stand the praise and worship. And one of the ways we cleanse houses, houses that are demonized, is to walk through them, proclaiming the name of the Lord, but also singing worship songs, singing praise songs. The demons can't stand it. They want to leave. So it's a strong tool of ours. The verb enthroned indicates that when God's people exalt his name, he is ready to manifest his power in their situations. Our praise invites his rule to invade our circumstances. And there are many ways we can praise the Lord. We saw a few in the first few verses of Psalm 149. Singing, praising, rejoicing in him, praising with dance and instruments. We see in verse 4 that the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Our humility is attractive to the Lord. You want to attract the Lord in his presence? Repent of all pride. Ask him to uproot it out of your life because God will resist the proud, but he will draw close to the humble. Verse 5, just, um, uh, yeah, let's look at verse 5, 149.5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. You know, whether it's a night season that's figurative or a literal night season, anytime we're on our beds, if we're sick, if we're tired, if we're weak, we can sing aloud on our beds and worship the Lord and his praise will, our praise will draw him, will draw his presence. Job 35 verse 10 says, God my maker gives songs in the night. So in the night seasons, we can choose to be joyful and worship the Lord. I, I think he especially loves it when it's a sacrifice for us. Yeah. And then verse 6 says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hands. Uh, years ago when I was um, living in South Africa, I took advantage of a course that was being offered in the city where I was called Psalmody, a Psalmody course. And it was a, a course of the history of music all through the Old Testament. The instruments, the praise, the worship, why, when, where, who. It's just a, a thorough teaching all on that. One thing I learned is that there are levels of praise. And the highest level of praise is called Tehillah. And it's praise combined with faith. It's praising God with the certainty that he will respond. It's not just praising him for who he is or what he does. It is faith-filled praise that touches God's heart and moves his hand. And sometimes you feel it yourself. You've been praising the Lord and it's just kind of been routine. But suddenly faith rises in you. And as you're singing or, or verbally speaking out praises of God, you're touching heaven and you know there's been a transaction. That's Tehillah. And that's what he's speaking about in verse 6. The high praises. Let the high praises of God be in our mouths. Let's not miss out on this area of spiritual warfare. With the high praise of 
got in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Do you know it? Sing along. We will march. I can't sing, so. It is. It, it was a common song uh, 30, 40 years ago. We sang that in South Africa a lot. The high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hands. So we use them together. So even if we're on our beds, even in a dark place, we can use the word of God. This is our two-edged sword, as we all know from Hebrews 4, verse 12. Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. And we use high praise. Proclaiming his word over situations. Praying his word into situations. We've been uh, recently introduced to Carol Ward, who is a missionary to South Sudan. We're still following the prayer network, World Prayer Network, uh, many times on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. This was two weeks ago on a Sunday night, and she was speaking on that network. And she, she moved into Ethiopia, and she has helped. She's been in Africa for over 20 years, a grandchild of missionaries, a child of missionaries, and she has seen so many breakthroughs. I mean, it's just amazing to hear her testimonies. But this is one that she told. She said she was held captive by terrorists and a group of the African workers with her. They were all held captive. And she told her group, read the word of God out loud. Start in Psalm 1. Someone read Psalm 1. Someone else read Psalm 2. Someone else read Psalm 3. We're going to read through the scriptures until we're set free. And they read through scriptures for six hours. And then they were all set free. Sudan. Yeah, that was in Sudan. And she said, this is your weapon. Don't put your weapon down. And, you know, that's a word to us, too. This is our weapon. Don't put your weapon down. Don't leave it on your bedside table. Read it, study it, pray it, sing it, meditate on it. This is our weapon. We need to know our weapon. You know, the people that use weapons like guns, they have to know their weapons. We need to know our weapon. This is it. Put it under your <laughs> doesn't help if you put it under your pillow. <laughs> okay, so if high praise and the word of God are two of our weapons for effective spiritual warfare, now let's look at some of the warfare that are mentioned in the next verses, 7 through 9. Reuben, can you read those? To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the written judgment this honor have all the saints praise the Lord so the literal enemies mentioned here find their New Testament counterparts in the list in Ephesians 6, 12, that Pastor John was preaching on in the previous series, where we read that we wrestle with principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So the warfare that we wage is a spiritual warfare. And we have spiritual weapons, such as prayer, tehillah, high praise, the word of God. Our enemies also include other works of the devil, like disease, destruction, demonization, poverty, injustice, and so forth. These enemies can also be overcome by God's power as we touch his heart through faith-filled praise and worship. 
We are to actively participate in God's judgment. See the end of verse 9? This honor have all his saints. This is an honor that we participate in the judgments of God. But it says, this honor have all the saints. Sadiq, the righteous ones, the holy ones. Don't try to engage in spiritual warfare if you're living, living in deliberate sin. Make sure that you're living clean before the Lord, that you've dealt with any sin in your life so that you can take the authority that God's given you and express it and take, and take authority against what the enemy's trying to do. Also, it's not just the, the righteous ones, the holy ones. It's those that are operating in their priesthood. I was reading this in other portions of scripture. In our priesthood, most of what we do is intercession and worship. If we are intercede, if we're interceding, if we're praying, if we're worshiping, then we're operating in our priesthood. If we're walking in holiness and righteousness as the Lord enables us to, then we can participate in this kind of spiritual warfare. So it's really not way far out there. This really should be uh, a description of all of us anyway, that we're seeking to walk holy and righteous before the Lord, that we are people of prayer, we're people of worship, and when the Lord says to take authority over something, we can do that because we are among his saints that he's entrusted that to. Another weapon we have as New Testament believers is the blood of Jesus. So when Jesus died on Calvary, his blood became a line of demarcation for all of history. Death was defeated there. Our sins were paid for there. Powers and principalities were disarmed as Jesus triumphed over them. We know that from Colossians chapter 2. This border of blood became his finish line and our starting line. It's where we take our place to enforce the victory of his blood over our already defeated foes. They're already defeated, but they keep trying to war against us. So we stand on that bloodline and we take our place as part of his family and his army to enforce the victory he's already won. The blood of Jesus is one of our greatest weapons. You know the scripture from Revelation 12, 11 that says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by their word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. So in the latter days, those are gonna be our strongest weapons, blood of the lamb, our own testimonies, and not loving our lives to death. One thing that Carol Ward, this missionary said is, she said, the people that have gotten saved in South Sudan, I mean, they're former prostitutes, they're child soldiers, they're mercenaries, they're uh, orphans, all kinds of broken people. And she said, we take them in, they get saved, we feed them, we take care of them, we disciple them, and then we send them out as missionaries. She said, we're sending out thousands just on a regular basis. But she, she said... Um, I say to them, because many of them can speak Arabic, she says, we need missionaries in Arab-speaking countries. Who of you are willing to go, knowing that you can lay down your life by going? Who's willing to go? They all put up their hands. She said, no, you don't understand. You could die while you're over there. You're giving your life if you go as a missionary into these areas. Who's willing to go? They all put up their hands. And they say, our eternity is secure. Theirs isn't. Why do we stay here and take care of ourselves when they don't have a future in Jesus? Yeah, we're willing to go. I love that. So right now, there are thousands of believers who are taking communion every day. 
They're calling this the 40-day communion fast. They're fasting from food, and they're taking communion for the healing of America. It's mainly Americans, but there's also people from other nations that are doing this. They're engaging in spiritual warfare by applying the blood of Jesus to themselves, to their families, and to the nation. They're declaring the victory of Jesus' blood over spiritual powers and principalities, over earthly leaders who rule with antichrist philosophies, and over the enemies of human souls. They're standing on that bloodline, and they're declaring the victory of Jesus. We're in a war. We all know that, right? We are in a war. The Lord has given us awesome weapons, three of which are high praises, the scriptures, and the blood of Jesus. Let's not just be sitting ducks for the enemy to attack. Let's be warring saints who extend God's kingdom through praising him, declaring and praying his word, and applying his blood to our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would, you would anoint us by your Holy Spirit, that we could move more strategically and intentionally into the role you've put us in to walk in this kind of spiritual warfare, this honor that you've given us to co-labor with you for the salvation of others, yes, but also for the judgment of your enemies. So Lord, I pray we would be mighty in praise especially high praise. We would be mighty in the use of scripture. We would be mighty in applying the blood of Jesus to our lives, the lives of our families. Even right now, today, Lord, we ask, would you wash us again with the blood of Jesus? Would you wash our spirits, our souls, and our bodies with that blood? Would you cleanse us? Would you wash over our minds would you wash over our attitudes and our values? Lord, would you realign us with the word of God and with your plans and your purposes? And Lord, we pray the blood of Jesus over our family members. Lord, would you save those that are distant from you, that have left you or have never known you? We pray the blood of Jesus for them. Lord, draw them back into your kingdom. Draw those that have never bow the knee before you. We pray they would have an encounter with you that brings them to their knees. And then, Lord, we pray the blood of Jesus over our nation. Lord, if you don't rescue us, we are doomed. We need you. Revival is our answer. I pray the fear of God would come over our nation again, that you would cleanse us with your blood, all the wickedness and evil in our land, Lord, would you cleanse it out. I pray that we, your people, who are called by your name, that we would humble ourselves. We would pray. We would seek your face. We turn from our wicked ways. Mm -hmm. And that, Lord, you would hear our prayers. You'll heal our land. You'll forgive our sin. Lord, we've been a wicked nation. We've been a proud nation. But, Lord, we so need you. We repent of all that. We confess that as sin. Lord, would you meet with us again? In this time when you are doing things throughout the earth, please do them in America. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. We pray for more. More. Lord, open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain over this nation for the glory of your name. Jesus, be famous in our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw yesterday a clip 
of uh, Sean Fote. Remember, he was the one leading the worship protests during all the protest time. They, they didn't let him lead worship services, so he said, okay, then I'm gonna call it a protest because they let people protest. So he led worship protests all over America. Right now, he is leading worship in the Capitol in the Rotunda. I don't know if it's daily or if it's every other day, but he is there with the team and they're leading worship there. He said, there are things happening that we, it's not common knowledge. Let's keep praying. Let's keep pushing back the darkness, welcoming the light. God bless you.